Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music, music teachers. This is episode 78 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and this is the seventh and final episode in a series about the essential ingredients of well balanced music lessons. Welcome, beautiful teachers, to the final episode of 2019. Oh my gosh, this year has absolutely flown by for me. It's quite ridiculous. This is also the seventh and final episode, as I mentioned in the intro, of our series about the essential ingredients of music lessons. This series has been all about trying to help you understand the different categories of all the various activities you could be doing so that we can split them into six parts and digest them a little bit better. And now in this episode, put them together into one plan, or at least understand how that could be done. So if you haven't listened to the whole series, I suggest you go back to episode 72 and start from there at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 72. Just a review for those who have been listening the whole way though. The six different ingredients that we've talked about that go into our lessons are reading, oral, technique, theory, rhythm, and creative work, or in my view, improvisation is the most important element there. So these might not be the most essential six ingredients for you. For me, this is how it breaks down and how it makes sense. Maybe there's some element I've left out here, though. Maybe there's something you want to split apart from reading, like sight reading. In my view, that's part of the same thing, but maybe for you it's not. That's totally fine. I'm not saying these are the only six, this is the only six categories that you could possibly come up with, and this is the right answer, right? There's no such thing, is there? So make a substitution if necessary, but maybe try to keep to that number of six or less. Because anything more than that, and I really feel it doesn't fit in our brains simultaneously. And that's what we want from these categories. We want to come up with six ingredients so that we can actually look at them on a plate or on a countertop in the kitchen and see them all together and see how they might work together. Now we need to get started baking this lasagna, right? Well, mine's going to be a veggie lasagna because I'm vegetarian. So to bake my veggie lasagna, I could wing it, couldn't I? I could know what lasagna tastes like, having never baked one before, and pretty much get the right ingredients, wouldn't I? It's not a very complicated dish. There's 
something with tomato sauce, there's something with cheese sauce, and there's sheets of pasta. You could probably pick up those ingredients at the supermarket and put something together that vaguely looks like a lasagna. But would it be a great lasagna? What do you think? There's actually a lot of errors you can make when making a lasagna, and people make them a lot. I've had a lot of different lasagnas, and some are not the best, right? Either the sauce can be too watery, and therefore it leaves pools of water around, which is never appetizing, or there's too little sauce, and therefore we have hard pasta, because you don't cook, well, I don't anyway, cook the pasta sheets before you put them into the lasagna. The sauce does that. So if your sauce isn't watery enough or there's not enough of it, pasta's not going to cook and you're going to get that uncomfortable chewy pasta. Or you could forget ingredients here or there. You know, you forget a little bit of salt or you forget the oregano or you forget something, right? Any Italians listening, I don't know if oregano really goes in lasagna, maybe not. But you get the idea. So when it comes to music lessons, this is why I believe in having a plan or a recipe. It's not because I can't wing it. It's not because I'm not spontaneous or I can't do things off the cuff. And when discussions come up about lesson planning in Facebook groups and elsewhere, this is often the rebuttal people make. They say, oh, well, I have to plan on the fly. I have to do everything as it comes because every student arrives with different things. Yes, that's true. They will. But that doesn't change how important the lessons are, how important it is to fit in all these different ingredients and how much a plan could help you do that. It doesn't have to be a step-by-step, minute-by-minute plan. That's not it at all. But it does have to be a plan, a curriculum, or some kind of structure that makes you sure that you're doing the right thing at the right time. And there's not one answer for what the right thing is, but if you have a plan for where you're going, if you know the trajectory, you're leading your student along rather than just meandering along a path. So yes, you can make probably a fairly fine lasagna with no plan. Yes, you can. And I'm sure many of you have been doing that and I've been doing it for years as well. But it's not the best lasagna, is it? It's not the best possible lessons. Being spontaneous and doing things by the seat of your pants, as Americans would say, is all well and good, right? But it could be better. And I'm really not here to shame teachers who sometimes arrive without a plan or don't quite know where a student is going with something. That's not what I'm about, right? I think you know that if you've been listening to me for a little while. I do want to encourage you, however, and I really do mean encourage, to think about this idea of lesson planning in a different light. If you've been thrown off the idea of creating plans for your lessons because you think that you do better, you know, on the fly or because you think that it's just not possible to create plans that are sustainable or whatever. Try to see it in a new way because when we're balancing these six different ingredients, it really is very hard to do without some kind of a plan in place. I'm going to tell you more about how I put that plan in place. The other reason I believe we need some kind of a curriculum or a plan to follow for each of these areas or for all of them together is because things move more efficiently if you have a plan in place. That might sound obvious, but with the time crunch that we're all under, when we're dealing with 30-minute lessons or 
60 minute lessons, even an hour a week is not actually that much time. And if you don't have a plan, an outline, some kind of guidelines for how you're going to spend that time and where you're going week by week and month by month and year by year, then you're going to waste some of the time, right? And I'm not saying waste as in, you know, if you follow a student's whim, that's a waste. It's not. But you want to do that consciously and as a choice, not as a rule. Now, most of us have a plan when it comes to reading, the first element I talked about in this series. Most of us have a plan. It's called a method book. And most of us take it a bit further than that. We understand why the method book does what it does in terms of introducing reading and the structure that it follows. And we agree with that or we disagree with it in places, but we understand why it's there. We understand the plan behind it. And we follow that to some degree or we introduce our own ideas along the way. Most of us have a plan for reading. But I think those five other ingredients are equally important. Do you agree or not? Do you think that reading is the queen of all? Or do you think that the other things are at least almost as important? I really would love to hear your thoughts on that. So please do let me know in the Facebook group vibrant music studio teachers if you're not a member just apply and we'll let you in as long as you're a music teacher i'd love to know what you think about this is reading the most important or are we just giving it the most importance are we giving it the most weight in our lessons without thinking it through and if you don't think that reading is the queen of all if you don't think it's the most important lesson element by far then i've got a vital question for you do you have a plan for anything else. Most of us don't. Do you? If you do, I'd love to hear about that as well in the Facebook group, but I think it's fair to assume that most teachers do not. We don't have a specific plan or a curriculum or a guideline for oral work, technique, theory, rhythm, or improvisation. I realized this about myself a couple of years ago. I was doing, I think, pretty good work in all of these areas, but it still felt relatively haphazard. I sort of, you know, had an idea where I was going, but if you'd asked me, I couldn't have defined it all the time with every area. And that didn't feel good enough to me. And at the same time as this, I was getting tons of emails from teachers and messages from them saying, yeah, this is all good, but I still feel scattered. In their own words, in different ways, they were describing this feeling of, I don't quite know where everything's going, and it doesn't feel good to me. So that is where my Piano Power Booster plans came from. I created these comprehensive curricula to cover everything but the pieces. I started with smaller ones, actually, and I still do some of those too, which are about specific areas. So there's a but the pieces plan for chords or for scales, and I think those have their place as well especially with students who are doing other things and we're catching them up or we want to focus on a specific area. But from there, I came up with this idea of the Piano Power Boosters and Tiny Finger Takeoff, which is the younger student version, which are but the police's plans for 40 weeks, a full year, that cover four of those ingredients, oral work, technique, theory, and rhythm. They do so with a plan behind what we're doing. So every activity is planned out to go somewhere across three to, let's say, five years for most students to get through these because they're 40 weeks and you might repeat some of the weeks to review 
And also a lot of teachers don't have 40 weeks in their academic year, actually. So it's about three to five years of studies for a student. And it plans out all of these things, oral technique, theory and rhythm, so that they're leading somewhere. It's not just about fun activities week after week. That's great. Students should be having fun. But you also need to be the guiding force. You need to be the one who's leading them down the right path whatever that right means, that they're going somewhere. Now, the astute among you may have noticed that I've skipped one. I've left out improvisation, and I told you it was the most important in the last episode. Well, that's with good reason. That's because I use improvisation to teach the other things. So that's how I managed to eliminate one of them. I use games and improvisation and creative activities and ideas to teach all of these other elements. And that's really a core part of my teaching is that improvisation is something that helps me teach other things. It's great in its own right, but I prefer to put it to a bit of work too. So I've got my method book that has a reading plan, and then I've got the but the pieces plans, and that's how I fit all of this stuff together. And I do so with creativity and with games, and without feeling ridiculously overwhelmed, you know? I have a fairly substantial student load myself. I have 36 students personally and I oversee another 20 with two other teachers and I really am involved in the planning of each of those lessons for 55, 6 students, something like that. If I didn't have these plans, I would be on the side of we just have to take it as it comes. We just have to, you know, wing it in the lessons because we can't do anything else. There's no time to plan all this stuff. But if I can do it, you could do it too, with these plans at your side. So if you're not aware, these are inside the Vibrant Music Teaching video library is the best place to access them for members. So you just go to library and then video library, or sorry, resources, and then video library to access those courses. And I hope you'll consider using them as a basis for your work or following them to the letter, whatever suits you, but consider putting them into action. If you're not a member yet, of course, you can sign up at vmt.ninja to get access. As we break for Christmas here on the podcast, we're taking two weeks off and we'll be back on January 13th. And as we go into this two-week break, and it's a teaching break for many of us in many parts of the world, I want to ask you, do you have a plan? Are you creating the perfect lasagna, or the ideal lasagna, let's say, I don't love the word perfect, Are you creating the ideal lasagna for your students, the ideal lessons and ones that have a plan behind them and a curricula, that curriculum that they're following, or is it all going off the cuff? And could you be doing it a better way without stressing yourself out? That's not what I want at all. Some of the best thinking I find happens in the back of our heads, which is why I'm proposing this to you before we take a break and before we take some probably much needed time off from teaching. So I hope you'll leave that question in the back of your minds over the Christmas break and as you're drinking your mulled wine that you're mulling over that as well without focusing too much on it and of course enjoying the Christmas season if you're celebrating or time with your families. I hope you all have a wonderful new year and I'll see you back here on the podcast on January 13th. Just a quick reminder to members that if you have some time over the break and you want to dive into some professional development, you have access to tons of great resources for that inside the libraries. So just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com, sign in, 
and dive into the video or printable library and have some fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.